everyone, and welcome to the 62nd episode of the Always Drive Podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I got a chance to walk, or more accurately, hobble around an annual European auto show uh, near my home last weekend, and some of the photos from which I posted on the Always Drive Instagram page. So if you don't follow that, I'm planning on updating it more frequently, so do be so kind as to give us a follow. Uh, But back to the show, walking around and, and talking with various owners, you could really tell what what pride they held in their cars and and just how being able to sit around and talk with others about them, even on a hot day, brought them such joy. Whether it was the owner of a Ferrari 250 GT or a guy with a Saab wagon who just appreciated the fact that others appreciate Saab wagons, it, it's always refreshing to go to these shows and be among fellow petrol heads. And I thought back to that Jalopnik post about how the worst thing about being a, a gearhead is being is our other gearheads, and and I experienced absolutely none of that on Sunday. And people gathered around the the Aston Martin Vanquish Zagato or the Bugatti Chiron in attendance and just marveled. They, we exchanged smiles and jokes about, well, I would have brought mine, but it's on back order. Uh, you know, cheesy shit like that. I mean, the worst thing about being an enthusiast, I think, is really other enthusiasts on the internet. Because you can't hide behind a screen name when you're interacting with someone in person. All that bravado and confrontationalism just goes out the window when everyone is just gathered for the same purpose, celebrating our mutual interest. And I think it's just a shame how it can't be that way also in the digital world. Now on to some news, here's your top story. Now I generally try to steer clear of speculation and rumor in this podcast. One, because you can basically do that ad nauseum and face no consequences if things turn out to be false and, and it make this show entirely too long. Um, And two, because things do often turn out to be false, uh, like this week. So I went out on a a limb last week when I uh, suggested, uh, because it was rumored that Fiat and Chrysler might both be pulled, uh, at least from the American market, if not cold completely in the case of Chrysler. And and well, the jury is still out, and for for Dodge as well. But but Chrysler went into to pretty good detail about virtually every other car brand on their stable. So I think it's worth taking a look at the future of the littlest of the big three. Uh, First up, Jeep, the crowning jewel of the Fiat Chrysler portfolio and the one brand sort of keeping everything else afloat. Uh, Forthcoming are the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, as well as Trackhawk, Trailhawk, and Deserthawk variants of their existing vehicles. While we're familiar with Trackhawk as being racing circuit focused and Trailhawk as being off-road focused, the Desert Hawk trim is focused uh, on on deserts. Uh, we saw with the Rolls-Royce Cullinan, uh, desert driving is very popular with Arab oil shakes, and I guess Jeep thinks they can interest a prince or two in an amply equipped Cherokee. Uh, so by 2021, there will also be electrified, meaning hybrid or plug-in hybrid versions, 
of each of its models, and by 2022, we'll finally see the Jeep Wrangler Scrambler pickup and two new three-row SUVs. So for Jeep, at least, they stay the course, just like George H.W. Bush used to say. Say, stay the course, thousand points a lot. Yeah. Uh, for Ram, <laughs> we'll get a new midsize truck to replace the Dodge Dakota that I think everyone forgot existed at one point, so they just stopped making it. Um, there will also be a new Super Duty truck, and they're even making a Ram TRX, which is aimed squarely at Ford's F-150 Raptor, because if there's one thing the world needs, it's more obscenely off-road capable trucks that cost more than 60 grand. I guess when you're rich and uh, just want to show that you're humble, you spend more than most people's annual salaries on a pickup that will rarely ever see its bed get used. Um, there will also be a new version of their ProMaster City Van, which I can just tell you are all super jazzed about. Um, moving on to the fun stuff, Alfa Romeo is apparently planning on bringing back the 8C Competizione, but uh, rather than as a grand tourer with a front-engine rear-wheel drive, uh, as a mid-engine supercar, which, uh, yes, please... Um, we only ever got 90 versions, 90 copies of the whole of the 8C when they were first made on the Maserati Gran Turismo platform. But since supercars are selling like IHOP pancakes these days, I hope I'd hope they could spare a few more uh, for our shores. Um, also, apparently coming back is the GTV, which is a fairly historic nameplate, um, but. The rendering uh, that they showed looks an awful lot like a coupe version of the Julia, which itself is not a bad thing. Uh, they say the GTV will have 600-plus horsepower, and the 8C will get 700 or so. So uh, this, this undoubtedly means you can expect to see both vehicles uh, catching on fire shortly after they're released into the wild here. Uh, Maserati, meanwhile, is hoping to challenge both Porsche and Tesla for sales, which... Uh, wasn't that what they were trying to do all along? Uh, in any case, they're going to try and do it way gooder this time with the Alfieri supercar, a, a new SUV, and four electric vehicles. Uh, Maserati chief Tim Kunik Kuniskis said, uh, quote, from a product standpoint, it may look as if Maserati is challenging Porsche and Tesla. It may look that way, Tim. Uh, we are. We're going to accomplish this by bringing to the market something no other player in the industry can match, end quote. Except, I guess what he really means is that they're going to make pretty cars in segments where other cars already have market share and they'll hope to get by on looks rather than engineering or merit. Um, as for Chrysler, Fiat, and Dodge, they were more conspicuous by their absence than by any news about any of them. So we'll just have to wait and see if the company is going to embrace the forward theory of profitability or pivot to something completely different. Now for some headlines. Electric vehicles are all fun and games, uh, except for the fact that they contain 30% fewer parts than internal combustion vehicles. Uh, while to most of that, that's a good thing because it means less can go wrong, it also means there's less to make. So while many jobs are created in the fields of battery and motor technology, in Germany alone, as many as 75,000 engine and transmission jobs may be lost if as many as 25% of vehicle sales are electric by 2030. 
German labor representatives are on the case now trying to put together plans to maintain jobs by retraining workers in new relevant fields or basically what we refuse to do in America while instead pandering to people who don't want to give up their careers working in unskilled labor areas that are obsolete. Uh, At least one country understands progress. Uh, The FIA World Council this week approved big changes to the World Rally Championship, moving vehicles to a common motor setup, and those motors will be all electric. They'll also use common batteries and a common chassis, but the parts around those, the suspension, steering, equipment, etc., will be up to each team. In that regard, it won't be entirely down to driver skill because they're all driving the same car, but they will all have the same power, 670 horses from twin electric motors powering all all four wheels. Uh, The common components will help keep costs down, which has been a growing problem in racing across many series and is the reason there's only one team in the top level of the World Endurance Championship this year. Plus, the relatively short sprint distance of rallying is much more well-suited to electric vehicles compared with endurance racing because of range concerns. I think most viewers and spectators, though, it's going to be hard to get over hearing the absolute chaos of turbocharged motors hurtling steel and plastic through woods and along cliffs. Uh, As for the people living along those cliffs, though, uh, they'll probably really appreciate it. Uh, If you're a skilled driver who loves vehicles and you happen to crash a car on a track during an IndyCar race, chances are you'll be a bit sheepish, but it's okay. You're a race car driver, and this happens sometimes. But if you happen to be the pace car driver and you wreck the pace car, causing a half-hour delay in the start of the race for the race cars because you spun your Chevy Corvette ZR1 into a wall, you will feel mortified. And one can't feel help but feel a bit sorry for GM EVP of Global Product Development, Mark Royce, who did just that before the Detroit Grand Prix of Belle Isle this week. Even Indy 500 winner and fast circle man Will Power jumped to his defense, saying that the corner that Royce took was a bit off-camber and unloads the rear wheels, causing slippage. Uh, he even went to, uh, Royce went so far as to issue a really painful apology that he 100% didn't have to do. Because if you can't imagine feeling exactly how he felt when he crashed that car in front of thousands of people, you need to be put on an island far away from other people because you are a sociopath. Uh, Great news for Californians, though, as a new rule has just gone into place that allows you to be picked up by a fully autonomous vehicle. In even better news, the companies running these vehicles can't charge you a fare for the journey because this is all in the name of testing technology and not capitalism. Uh, Well, it's in the name of future capitalism, but uh, focus on the free today. Uh, Problem is, only one company has applied for a permit to test fully autonomous vehicles in the state, and these systems aren't exactly totally safe, uh, as we've been seeing recently, so maybe don't hold out for a rare free ride from a company that may kill you. Tesla held its annual stockholders meeting this week, and we got some answers to boring bonehead questions without a healthy dose of attitude for once. Uh, The bad news is there's no real super interesting news, but the good news is that there's no real super interesting news. 
Uh, Musk said production of Model 3s was humming right along, and they anticipate reaching 5,000 units per week by the end of this month, but right-hand drive and base models, that $35,000 car, are still going to have to wait until next year. He said the Model 3 was beating its rivals in sales, namely the BMW 3 Series, Audi A4, Lexus IS, and Mercedes C-Class. Hidden in that little gem was the fact that nearly a quarter of all Model 3 reservations have been canceled, either by the company or by buyers. And while that sounds like bad news, to have that many cancellations and still be outselling the competition really illustrates the ongoing hype around and interest in the car. Finally, Musk said that the Model Y was on schedule for release in 2020, along with the new Roadster and Semi. He also hinted that sometime after that, Tesla would be working on a Volkswagen Golf-sized hatchback, which makes sense since it's the best-selling car in Europe. One can't help but wonder if, though, by the time they get around to it, if Volkswagen won't already have a mass-market electric hatchback on sale beating them to the punch. Between the e-Golf, the Golf GTE, and the various VW ID cars, all of which are electric, they have an awful lot of irons in the fire. Uh, as for Tesla's competition, uh, they won't be getting any from Lamborghini, at least for a while, because the Italian supercar manufacturer says no battery exists yet that is worthy enough to be bestowed upon one of our raging bulls. Uh, Chief Technical Officer Maurizio Reggiani said that they're aiming for brutal acceleration, a top speed of at least 186, and the range to be able to complete three laps of the Nürburgring. Given that the Nordschleife is only 12.9 miles long, achieving a range of 40 miles seems awfully doable, but I bet you'd be surprised how quickly that range disappears when you're pushing a Lamborghini as hard as it will go around the German forest. Um, but one needs only look at Tesla's upcoming Roadster for evidence that batteries with incredible acceleration and high top speeds remain only a few years away. Uh, even currently, their top-of-the-line Model S has a feature aptly named Insanity Mode, which is damn quick. Lamborghinis, however, are permanently stuck in Insanity Mode, which is uh, sort of why we like them so much. Uh, tell me if this sounds familiar. A friend of yours is shopping for a car and wants something fuel-efficient, so you suggest the Chevy Volt. You get the response, uh, yeah, but I want something reliable, so I'm thinking Prius or Insight. Well, the next time you have that conversation, you can fire back, yeah, well, Honda likes General Motors' battery technology so much that they recently signed an agreement to use their batteries in all of their future electric vehicles. Because that just happened this week. If you really want to turn the screw, you can say something like, Honda is so far behind on battery technology, the deal really isn't even a collaboration. The deal basically just gets GM a better deal because they can buy more batteries in bulk and then sell them on to Honda. They may be collaborating on hydrogen fuel cells in a more equitable partnership, but if you buy a Honda electric vehicle in the future, just know you're basically getting a GM. And that's not entirely true, because motors and transmissions and, well, the rest of the cars will be different, but sometimes it's really good just to knock people down a peg or two if they're blindly brand loyal. Um, are you the type of person who is too lazy to swipe a credit card or get out of your car for some nachos? 
Well, Hyundai is designing a system just for you. They're a Hyundai digital wallet, and access to purchasing platform Zevo, which I've never heard of, will allow drivers to pay for things like food and fuel and parking directly from their car without having to reach into your pocket or purse to get your preferred payment method. Uh, before long, the steering wheel will probably just be replaced with a robotic arm that shoves churros into our mouths as the vehicles drive themselves to our destination. Which actually sounds pretty good. Uh, while everyone loves churros, though, not everyone loves Big Brother, and a portion of Hyundai, Hyundai's uh, connected car tech pertains specifically to driver analytics, which the car will collect and share with a company called Verisk, who will give you a Verisk driver score, which can be passed on to your insurance company if you either give them permission or simply don't tell them not to. This is allegedly to offer tips and discounts on courses to help improve your driving and not to tattle to your insurance company that you're a dangerous driver, but I think I can uh, speak for the rest of the world in issuing a collective fuck that on this plan. Yes, some drivers certainly could use some help not sucking at it, but I will hold myself personally responsible for informing them of their inadequacy by way of my horn blaring and wild gesticulations. Uh, and poor Hyundai, they, they really try, but sometimes they just kind of, they look like that guy at the hockey game who is so busy playing Pokemon Go that they miss a goal getting scored and they look up and like, oh, what happened? Do I, do I clap? Do I clap now? Uh, this week was one of those times because immediately after Nissan and Renault announced that they are both discontinuing development of diesel engines in the wake of the Dieselgate scandal and the ongoing uh, diesel unpopularity in Europe, Hyundai burst into the room and was like, here it is, our brand new 2019 Tucson, which feels features a mild hybrid diesel engine. Everyone's like, oh, did he not hear the news? <laughs> I mean, truth be told, Mazda has some diesels coming up too, but these are going to be hard, hard sales in Europe where diesels are tanking harder than the Las Vegas Golden Knights did this evening. Back to insurance, though, uh, we got a couple of lists today of the most and least expensive cars in the country to insure. The top five uh, most expensive included the Dodge Challenger, which no doubt made the list because of its Hellcat version, uh, the Toyota 86 and Mitsubishi Lancer, which probably made the list because they're driven by young, reckless kids. Uh, but topping the list were the Mercedes S-Class and the Tesla Model S, undoubtedly earning their places because of high repair costs and the incredible amount of technology in each of them. As for the cheapest cars to insure, there were a predictably high number of Toyotas and Hondas, some GMC vehicles, and most full-size trucks. Uh, interestingly, though, the Chevy Corvette clocked in as the 12th cheapest car to insure. Ahead of it were a bunch more trucks and luxury cost crossovers and the Jeep Wrangler, which was number six. But the absolute cheapest car to insure this year in the United States was the Subaru Outback with the EyeSight Forward Collision Avoidance Technology. Uh, on average, buyers paid just less than $540 total per year, which is just about half of my bill for the GTI, which is only modestly depressing. Um, but it makes sense. They have great visibility, good reliability, good crash test ratings, and are driven by crunchy, dog-having, oatmeal-loving hippies who never exceed the speed limit and clean up their campsites after themselves. Not that insurance companies would ever profile people like that. 
Um, in a bizarre story from Virginia this week, a National Guard soldier got all hopped up on drugs and stole an armored personnel carrier, uh, then got engaged in a uh, not-so-high-speed chase with police, after which he was arrested and charged with a whole slew of crimes because, go figure, the National Guard doesn't appreciate you stealing their shit. Um, an APC is basically a tracked tank, but without a turret and with a larger interior to accommodate the transport of troops. It's big, it's tan, it's hard to miss flying down the streets of Richmond. Uh, making the story even more bizarre is that this soldier is sort of well known as a coder who made an anti-social justice variant of a secure web browser and tried desperately to get the attention of an accused sexual abuser. Uh, nobody is still sure why he stole this APC, but uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug, so maybe he just decided, well, it's there, and it's probably more fun than an Uber home. Uh, finally, and in truly disgusting news this week, a woman and her son in British Columbia, Canada, were driving along about 160 miles, or a, a, maybe a billion kilometers, as they call them, uh, from Vancouver when they were suddenly struck by a cascade of what appeared to be sewage flying through their open sunroof. Uh, one minute you're cruising along enjoying one of the many beautiful days in the Pacific Northwest, and the next you're getting pink eye from someone taking the afternoon flight from Philadelphia. Uh, the driver suspects it was sewage from a plane that just so happened to have the supreme bad timing and placement to hit her open sunroof, which is possible but rare and hardly a reason to keep your sunroofs closed out of sheer paranoia. But can you imagine how much worse it would have been if she had been in a convertible? Uh, now for some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my well with my let it never be said that I don't cover a wide variety of vehicles on this show. After all, it is called Always Drive, like all the ways, because we've got a new one from Freightliner this week. And why is a big rig of interest for automotive enthusiasts? Because it's their new E-Cascadia, which is all electric and is intended as a rival for Tesla's Semi. Uh, Daimler, which owns Freightliner, apparently, says that the truck will be able to tow 80,000 pounds and features a maximum range of about 250 miles, putting it squarely in the <laughs> worse than the Tesla territory because their semi is rated at 500. Freightliner will, however, be delivering trucks this year to be part of a pilot program, so they're a bit ahead in development. They say that the trucks will be able to achieve an 80% charge in 90 minutes, which is enough to travel 200 miles, or just about three hours before having to stop for another 90 minutes to charge again. Clearly, this isn't for long-distance hauling, because spending a third of your journey stopped to charge is not exactly economical. Long-haul trucking is an industry where I still think hydrogen fuel cell vehicles uh, could take off over electric vehicles, but I think diesel is going to remain king here for a while longer. Uh, in much smaller truck news, uh, GMC unveiled the Sierra Elevation, a high-trim-level full-size pickup with a stylized front fascia that I think looks pretty good. Uh, it's not quite as butch-for-butch butch sake as many other pickups, but it, that's not to say it looks soft. Also of note is the fact that it comes with a standard 2.7-liter four, turbo four-cylinder, which is probably the same motor that comes in its Chevy Silverado Twin with Ford, the Ford F-150 also having a turbo 2.7-liter 4. It seems like the more things change in the truck world, the more they stay the same. 
in any case, there's a new truck uh, in case you don't want to be one of the millions of people in a Ford F-150 but still want some fuel efficiency. Uh, in Jeep news, the brand has rolled out a refreshed Renegade, which is still a rebodied Fiat 500X, but now looks slightly different than the old Jeep Renegade. Uh, good luck telling the difference. This has been your weekly Jeep news. Um, at the end, at the luxury end of the spectrum this week, we got an all-new BMW X5, which, unlike the Renegade, is, is actually all-new, and it's been completely redesigned for the 2019 model year. It's been lengthened and strengthened and nipped and tucked, and you can definitely tell this one from the old version. Uh, it continues that awful trend of making the front of all vehicles 100% grill with just the faintest slivers of body-colored fenders and bumpers, the rest of it all being chrome or black plastic. This is not a good look, and it smacks of just lazy styling. Honestly, from many angles, this looks like it could be a softened version of the Toyota 4Runner, which, despite being a 4Runner fan, I do not find terribly attractive in the current model. Things are a bit different on the inside, though, where it bears absolutely zero resemblance to the horribly boring and plastic E4Runner interior. It looks like a lovely place to be, where you can touch the soft surfaces and completely forget that the front of the vehicle you're driving looks like a gaping maw ready to swallow whole the Ford Fiesta in front of you. It has a driver assistance package, which will help keep you in your lane and between cars, but unlike Tesla's autopilot, BMW has installed a creepy camera at the top of the steering wheel uh, that will watch you all the time, making sure you're paying attention, which I find both disturbing and defeating to the point of driver assistance. Um, but as we've seen, this technology isn't fit for public release, so instead of a polished, tested product, we get cars that creep on us constantly. So if you like ugly but comfortable SUVs available with the third row, want a premium badge to show others that you made it, and don't mind the Germans watching you all the time, uh, look out for the X5 to hit dealerships this fall. Also from Germany and also a sports activity vehicle, Audi unveiled their new Q8 which they idiotically say combines the elegance of a four-door luxury coupe with the practicality and versatility of a large SUV, which only slightly makes me want to punch someone in their big stupid face. Um, as regular listeners will know, I have a problem with this daft four-door coupe concept thing, which takes a sedan and makes it harder to get in and out of for the sake of looking like you drive a two-door vehicle because you want the appearance of caring so little about people that you would make them climb over a folded forward front seat, but without the practicality of having to actually do so. Uh, now, to apply that to a large SUV takes the bullshit meter a few ticks into the ugh territory. Uh, this Audi is Audi's flagship SUV, so it has completely new styling that will trickle down to all other cars, just like Economic does to the Poors, who will never own one of these since, although no pricing has been announced, you know it's not going to be budget-friendly. Uh, nor is it particularly friendly to the eyeballs. Um, around the sides and back, it's mostly fine. Uh, just like Audi's new X5, there's entirely too much fake grille out front, and everything is arranged around a single central octagonal grille framed in silver plastic that looks like it's a black hole sucking in everything around it. Uh, it looks like someone took an Audi Q5 and then stuck on that mask that Bane wears during the Dark Knight Rises, and if Bane was born in the dark, then he must have been near where the Audi designers were, because if they could see what they were doing, that might have turned out looking a little better. 
Uh, speaking of darkness, Subaru is taking the whole black edition, the car thing, and finally turning it on its head. Um, instead of murdering out one of their vehicles in a truly played-out style, Subaru has shown off the 2019 WRX STI Series Dot Gray. Uh, in true Subaru style, even its special editions managed to make the car more boring looking because gray is one of the most popular vehicle colors, hardly making it a special, very special edition. Um, fortunately, they didn't just stop at the paint shop. Uh, the car has different brakes, upgraded suspension bits, and Recaro seats. They also threw in the STI's performance package, threw out the sunroof, and installed some adaptive headlights. Plus, the gray color is actually kind of pretty because it has some blue in it that sort of makes it more interesting than this current trend of, like, tan dolphin skin gray that I'm seeing on everything from Ferraris to Kias. So, good on you, Subaru, for once. Um, there's an auto show happening this week, and I bet you didn't know about it because I totally didn't know about it. And I'm very willing to guess that a few people outside of South Korea knew about it. Nevertheless, the Busan Motor Show has generated some news, specifically the unveiling of the Hyundai HG HDC2 Grandmaster concept, which is a truly massive SUV. The Grandmaster, which is a great name for a gigantic, imposing vehicle, is uh, purely a concept, but outlines how Hyundai's future styling language could be applied to its crossovers and SUVs, and it looks really sharp. Uh, not only sharp as in, uh, like, good-looking sharp, but sharp as in spiky, with uh, crisp angles and rolling, swooping edges. I, I like it a lot. Um, though the front does look a bit like a Gillette Mach 5 razor blade, I do welcome seeing more attractive Santa Fe's and Tucson's on the road. In China this week, Geely unveiled their M Grand GSE, which is an electric version of their mid-sized M Grand GS crossover, uh, capable of a range nearing 300 miles, which is pretty impressive, especially for the uh, Chinese market EV, uh, most of which typically have shorter ranges. Uh, why is this important, since it's not a U.S. market car? Because Geely owns Volvo and Lotus, and has been making big moves and sharing tech with the cars that we do get here, so it may be only a matter of time before we're cross-shopping Geely's with Volkswagen's, or before the Volvo XC40 gets the Geely M Grand GSE's battery. Um, plus, it looks like a better-styled better Hyundai without being a knockoff, so there's that. Uh, we haven't heard a whole lot from uh, supercar and kit car maker Noble uh, recently, and, and this week's no different. Instead, though, we do have a new vehicle from Nob, uh, a company from that stalwart of automotive excellence, Estonia. Uh, called the Nob 100, the company's first vehicle is a cute little three-wheeled electric vehicle with a range of 137 miles and a top speed of 68, so it's not what you'd call speedy or particularly long-legged, but what it lacks in subst substance, it makes up for with copious style. It's totally retro-looking, sort of like an old Alfa Romeo, but where someone pinched the back end of it together. Uh, the car is produced from 100% reusable parts, which is pretty neat, though I'm not entirely clear on what that means. Unlike most car companies, Nob is being exclusively crowdfunded on Funded by Me. Uh, it's reached 38% of its $1.2 million goal with 40 days left in the campaign. Uh, but look this thing up because it's really neat, and I think uh, that is a style that is underserved right now in the market. Uh, I'm not sure how I missed this several weeks ago, but better late than never, Honda Motorcycles is coming out with a brand new monkey. 
And if that sounds weird, I understand. But the original monkey from the 1960s and 70s was originally developed as a way to get kids into motorbiking, but it quickly obtained cult status among adults who love puttering around on the little things. These pit bikes were so popular that even John Lennon owned one, and it went up for sale last year. Uh, the new one is uh, for next year is based on the Honda Grom pit bike, which is also super popular, but instead of the 49cc motor, it has a 125cc motor, meaning you might actually want to take it on real public roads. Of course, being more than 50cc, it'll require a license and a license plate to ride, but as the popularity of motorcycling wanes, maybe it's just cheap, fun shit like this that the segment needs to stir up interest. Finally this week, for the second time in a week, we have an obituary. A rider has died on the Isle of Man again on a motorcycle. Uh, 26-year-old Adam Lyon crashed on mile 28 of 37 and died on the scene. This was just his first time racing in the tourist trophy on the island, and the rider from Helensburg, Scotland, was very well regarded among his peers. Uh, Stay safe out there, people. Finally this week, um, I was introduced to the pure insanity that is Lil Tay. Uh, once again, it was my coworkers who have their finger on the pulse of what is outrageous on the internet. Basically, the premise here is that Lil Tay is a profane nine-year-old who rants to a camera held in portrait mode about how hard she works and how rich she's gotten and how many cars she has and how broke everyone else is. And after hoping for a while that this was a ruse put on by some parents who were just letting their child's creativity off the leash for a while. I have come to accept that instead there is nothing good in this world and that all hope for the next generation is entirely lost. Dear friends, please have children and prove me wrong. With that, thank you for listening and thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Uh, so what do you do with a race car that doesn't race anymore? Uh, after exiting the World Endurance Championship last year, Porsche has some Le Mans prototypes just sitting around, so they decided to take one out to the Nürburgring, where it's probably going to smash a record or two because, well, as a Le Mans car, it was very, very fast. But now, as a non-Le Mans car, it's not forced into any restrictions on speed or power, making it very, 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 very fast. Here, friends is your moment of zen.